0: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Baseball America podcast. Our first one of 2012, JJ. And we want to remind people that the uh, 2012 handbook went to press recently. Prospect the 2012 handbook. almanac is out. And if you want to get those any of your 2012 books, you can go to the Baseball America store. Just visit baseballamerica.com/store. And check out all the Baseball America books. We'll soon have our Super Register and our Directory as well to complete the Baseball America cornucopia of book goodness.
1: Got an email from a from a reader yesterday asking, "So, how close is the handbook?" And it's not here yet. The handbook, but uh, we the are PDF,
0: close. The handbook PDF is on all of our hard drives. And sorry, guys, we not, not to sell be shared. That. Yeah, exactly. we not sell that.
1: Um, but but the the handbook itself, we are in the final stages, the final proofing stages. So it's not far away.
0: Yeah, it's at the printer. So uh, I would expect that it will ship by the end of January at the uh, absolute latest. So very excited to have that project in our rearview mirror. Yes. Still cranking out top ten prospect lists. Had our first chat of the week, of the of the new year yesterday. As we record this on Thursday, but we had our first chat with the Yankees chat. We'll have Jim Callis. We start off the new year with Yankees and Red Sox. So that's kind of a double-barreled action. Then uh, goes out with a whimper with the, uh, the Orioles top 10, uh, no offense to Will Lingo, who I do believe at the end of doing the Orioles top 30 this year said, I think I don't want to do the Orioles anymore. <laughs> and I think Will has done the Orioles list every year since I've worked at Baseball America. I was say, so
1: that, that, that he goes back to... It's the
0: longest streak, I think, in, that we have of anybody. Because it precedes the handbook. It precedes the handbook. Handbook and handbook we've
1: been doing since 1999. It
0: covers the gym, 2000, I think it was yeah. the first one. Into but yeah. the 2000 season. If, and, I, and it precedes, it It spans the Jim Callis interregnum, where Jim didn't work here for a couple of years. So, yeah, I think that Will doing the Orioles is the longest one. I think that Will has been doing the Orioles since they stopped winning. And that's the real problem, is that he has never done an Orioles top 10 while they've had a winning season.
1: I think also that Will's done the Orioles long enough now that I don't know if there's an Orioles employee still, probably not still there. Besides Peter Angelos, the uh, owner. yeah, there's
0: got to be a couple. There's got to be a couple of Angelos lackeys you know, but, in there. I'm not sure what the Greek word is for lackey, but there's, but there's uh, no one. I'll put this. There's no one, one, one prominent
1: on. in the front office who's still around from those days.
0: Yeah, it's it's not a it's not a good thing. But the Orioles, let's, let's start. JJ, well, we're going to talk American League East top prospects. We'll probably wind up starting with Baltimore at the bottom. But it's been a little bit more news. There's been a little bit more news in the last couple of weeks after Christmas and the first week. It was an active trade market right before and after Christmas at the major league level. Let's talk a little bit about those those deals, specifically the ones that Oakland made. Um, we could talk about the Reds as well. I think we may have covered that in I think, the last yeah, podcast. Let's go on the But covered. Oakland's trades, I think, are, are more interesting. We talked anyway. about the Reds
1: with the NL West because that worked into that.
0: Correct. Um, but Oakland and Jim Callis actually wrote a column that'll be on the website, uh, first of next week about the A's and, and we've seen the, com- the complaints. So the, 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 I that's the only way I can, the only word I think that's fair to use is complaints by Billy Bean that, well, our window, you know, it never opened up this time with the, our windows a couple years down the line. It's much harder for us to compete. So the A's really, I mean, is there any reason at all for anyone in the, in, in the East Bay to buy a season ticket for the Oakland A's until 2014 wherever the A's are going to be located saying, I mean well, if, depending on where you live you, you may not be but for the next 2 years they're going to be in Oakland we're pretty sure why would anyone buy a ticket to watch that team they've they've basically publicly said we have no shot to compete and then on the other end they go and spend 14 million dollars over 2 years on Coco Crisp as a free agent which seemed like they did that at the behest of the union to have a minimum you know, a floor of their Major it, it, league it's, uh, salary. It's it, ridiculous. It is interesting,
1: but it does seem like that one of the things that has recently been established is, is there is not a, you know, and the union does not want an actual salary floor. Because right. Because they don't want an actual salary cap at the right. top either. But effectively, there is somewhat of one now, it does appear. I mean, that, maybe that it's move. It's pretty low. <laughs> maybe that move was not, but but we've seen in the past, we've seen like the Marlins agree, right. hey, you know, we've got to spend some money here.
0: But Coco Crisp. I'm not. I don't want to get two sides right, but Coco Crisp at 32 for 14 million dollars, uh, seven million dollars each year. That's just that's. Uh, it doesn't make. It doesn't fit with the rest of the things the Athletics are doing.
1: Beyond the fact that one, you you may be hearing something about hey, you you got to spend some money, and two, you still got to have someone out there. You know, if, yeah. you, if you don't put in someone in the center field. The ball goes to the wall and off. That's right.
0: Another part of it is that Oakland doesn't have any other – they've decided instead of investing in their own players they had, they decided to punt two years down the line. And that uh, brings us to the no. trades. And the three players they've had who've made all-star games the last couple of years are all gone, Andrew Bailey, Gio Gonzalez, Trevor Cahill. The Cahill trade happened a long time ago. Let's focus on the Gonzalez and the Bailey trades because J.J. really seems like Billy Bean did do something fairly skillfully with Gio Gonzalez, which is – there's not a big free agent pitching market. He made Gonzalez available, played, you know, built up the Gio Gonzalez market, and got the Nationals, who are desperate to be relevant, to pay up with four of their top 13 prospects.
1: Oh, I think it's a nice haul for Gio. I think if you look at these trades, the best trade for the A's of all these trades is the Gio Gonzalez trade. Not yeah. that Gonzalez is not good, because he is. Little control issues and all that, but still... Still a 26-year-old lefty with that kind of stuff who's had success like he's had the last year. Yeah, he's years.
0: proven durable and effective at the major league level. Yes, you, he, does, he did lead the major leagues in walks last year. But, but you'll, you'll still
1: take that. He's I, not a number one, but you know what? The great thing for the Nationals, they don't need him to be a number one.
0: Yeah, I think the Nationals, he's a very nice complement to Strasburg and Zimmerman as a nice lefty complement in the front third of that rotation.
1: But for the, for the A's, if you get back what they got back which you got a a guy who basically steps in and replaces him in the rotation in Brad Peacock. Right. Not as good. Not as good.
0: good. Right. But But I uh, like Brad Peacock.
1: A a very solid, uh, I think we both would agree.
0: I don't see any difference really between Brad Peacock and Jared Parker in terms of their prospect status. Peacock has the better fastball. Parker has better breaking stuff. They're the same age. um, And Peacock... Uh, for Parker me, has, he's had a little bit more success. Parker has higher, higher pedigree, levels.
1: a better pedigree, but that doesn't necessarily that doesn't get you guys out in the in the big leagues.
0: Yeah, I mean, he has a better pedigree, and then he was a higher draft that uh, he was drafted higher. But as far as their track records in pro ball, Peacock, especially you know, if you're what have you done for me lately, Peacock hasn't had surgery, and he was better at upper levels in 2011. So I, I actually prefer Peacock, but they're both, to me, they're basically the same type they're, of prospect. I, I'll put it this way. They're when, two three-starters. When you're, when you're putting up, uh,
1: putting other top 100, those guys aren't going to be too far apart.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and A.J. Cole in that deal has the highest ceiling probably of anyone right. the Nationals gave up in that trade.
1: Right. And essentially they got the guy who plugs in the rotation. Right. They, and Tom Malone, they got the guy who you can plug in the rotation if you need another guy.
0: Hey Tom alone, low, go talk to Dallas Braden about surviving in the major leagues with below-average stuff.
1: Low ceiling, no doubt about that. Yep. But he look; those guys do have value. A guy like that, because he can pitch in, in the big leagues for you right now. He may, he may put up a you know he an eighty-five have a John, ERA yeah. plus, but he could give you thirty starts if you need them, which they're gonna they may need them.
0: They are hoping he has a John Halama type of career. Right. Well. I like like St. John but And
1: then you've got, as far as the other pitcher in this, you've got the lottery ticket, which is A.J. Cole could end up being better than Gio Gonzalez. Yeah, the
0: low-A ball, live-armed, you know, former high school pick, you know, high school guy who who entered the 2010 draft in the mix to be the top high school pitcher in that class. He had a little bit of a down spring, but I, I was pretty encouraged by his first full season, so... For, for, and when you're trading a guy like Joe Gonzalez and, to get four prospects like that, we didn't even mention and Derek they got, Norris. And
1: they got Derek Norris.
0: The, the, the best the, 210 season in the minor leagues last year. Although you have to, that if, I, if
1: you have a concern with that, the A's have traded for the Derek Norris-type player it seems like a whole lot of times recently. Guys who and walk a lot? defensive, Questionable defensive catchers who walk a lot.
0: The one thing that he can do Josh North.
1: Donaldson, Derek Barton. And now Derek Norris.
0: Yeah, Derek Norris is a much more of a catcher than Barton ever was, because Barton stopped catching pretty early in the minor leagues, didn't he? And at least the one thing that Norris can well, do. But he was is a
1: catcher he, when the A's acquired. Right,
0: but he was in a low A. Yeah. Norris, I think, he, either if he didn't lead the Eastern League and. Caught stealings. He was close to it, right? But he's still not considered. He's not a, He's not considered an above-average defensive catcher. There's no. There's no doubt about that. He is athletic and he has improved defensively. I think he's going to be a catcher. I think he's more of a catcher than Derek Barton ever was. Right. But I think and, and Josh Donaldson, for that matter, he, he's better than than those two guys. For me, he's the best of those guys. I'm I'm kind of a Derek Norris fan as well. He's athletic. Yeah, guy stole 13 bags last year. Um, you know, he does. Not hit for high average, but he consistently walks and he consistently hits for power. He hit like 20 home runs and 370 at bats last year. He he's he's an Oakland A's. He's a he's a 10 years ago Oakland A's kind of player. He walks, he hits home runs, and defensively he's a good offensive player. <laughs> I mean that's that's what he is. So um, I like Derek Norris. I thought that was a pretty impressive deal for Oakland. Uh, the Andrew Bailey trade, I guess, if you've already traded away your numbers one and two starters. You really don't need a closer. You're not going to contend, so trade the closer. What do we think of Miles Head and uh, Alcantara that they got from the Red Sox?
1: I'm not as impressed with the haul they got from the Red Sox, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't think Andrew Bailey's worth is nearly as much. Right, so they, right. I, I had well, a, obviously, I left
0: out Josh Reddick. They swapped Josh Reddick and, and Ryan Sweeney.
1: I had a, a front office official from another team say that what, to him, one of the more impressive things that Billy Bean has done in recent years is is that if you are a bad team, make a young guy the closer.
0: Right. And then Manufax a
1: couple years later, trade him away, and then you can always go and make another guy a closer, and he may have added value because he can prove prove they can close. Right. So they've done this now on multiple occasions. So
0: Pretty I, interesting for Boston also as we go to the American League East a little bit, J.J., that they've rebuilt their bullpen with losing Papelbon and – they're talking about moving both Bard and a Seves, especially a Seves. I, I'm pretty convinced they're going to move a Seves to the rotation. I'm not as convinced on Bard. Um, but now Bobby Jenks has another back surgery or a complication from a back problem. But Melanson and Andrew Bailey, that's, you know, Pipe has done it and did it and won a world series as a closer. I don't know. I mean, obviously the Red Sox expectations for Andrew Bailey and Mark Melanson are going to be pretty high, but I like both those guys. I especially like Melanson from a makeup standpoint. And I like, I like Bailey's makeup, and when he's and his stuff, he's closed and been very effective as a closer in the big leagues. It's, it's not a bad way to rebuild, and it's a cheap way to rebuild.
1: A cheap way to rebuild, and they've now got the, – the other thing you have is is you have two of those guys, which yeah. is always valuable from the standpoint three of those guys, really, because if Barden's up in the pen also, right. you're not in a situation – the thing you want to avoid, and, you know, look, you want to debate about, you know, yes, you can make – I. I there's something about closing, but at the same time, sure. there is a an aura that goes with oh that guy's closed that sometimes goes a little far because right everyone to become a closer at some point you had to become a closer right exactly that being said one of the worst things that can happen it seems like for a team that is considers itself a contender is if you have all your eggs in one basket as far as you know your bullpen right and right. then that one reliever gets hurt. And then all of a sudden, a lot of teams seem like they get into desperate straits. I think of the Twins a couple of years ago. Absolutely. And you're just like, uh-oh, we, you know, Jonathan. No, Joe Nathan. No, Jonathan. We're we're desperate. And then they here over, here's Wilson Ramos.
0: They overpaid for the quote-unquote proven closer, which Matt Capps really wasn't proven even the proven was, closer. yeah. He,
1: again, if you're a bad That's team, ev- everyone has someone who finishes up the games.
0: That's right. That illustrates exactly what you're talking but, about. Great but you, you
1: avoid that if you're the Red Sox, especially in the Boston market. If Papelbon – and he wasn't because they had Bard, they had a couple – other. but if Papelbon had been the only guy yeah. and he gets hurt and you have no other options, well then in that Tim market Wakefields the, the screams <laughs> that are going to come you know, from everyone about got to go out and get a closer, you're not going to see that this year because if it's Bailey who's the guy or it's Bard who's the guy or it's Melanson who's the guy and he right. gets hurt, you go, okay, well – Whoever's been pitching the eighth for us is now going to pitch the ninth. And and Whoever's pitching the seventh is now going to pitch the eighth.
0: You have three plan Bs, basically. I think Bailey will be plan A. But I think that makes uh, – to me, I think Ben Charrington gets pretty good marks for his first big moves yeah. as the general manager in remaking their bullpen.
1: Especially, against what we talked about, if you look at it, the Red Sox got Bailey, and there's nothing that they gave up for Bailey that you would say – Okay, the, that guy, you point to him and say that yeah, was going to be a key some, part right. of the Red Sox.
0: Because I like Josh Reddick, but I think the Red Sox internally liked Ryan Kalish better. And Ryan Kalish was hurt last year. If Ryan Kalish is healthy, he basically steps right into that uh, right field vacancy. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Boston does. Um, even, you know, mean, and I'll
1: say that even the Melanson trade. Yeah. Like, Jed Lowry was
0: not going to be their starting shortstop. It was no. going to be Marco Scudera, So You're basically trading a utility guy. I thought it was a good move for, for, oh, for Houston to the, as well. If you're the
1: Astros, it's like, hey, this, Jed Lowry immediately becomes one of the better players Marwin on your Gonzalez roster. Marlon
0: Gonzalez or Angel Sanchez or Jed Lowry at shortstop? Jed Lowry. You the answer Jed is Lowry. Jed Lowry. Well, Boston did not trade any of their top ten prospects in that, uh, J.J., so – uh, let, let's let's talk with let's talk about the 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 let's Orioles briefly. The, let's start I mean, with the Orioles, which I think we agree. And then we'll go to the, the, we'll go to Boston. But yeah, worst farm system of this group. Number five in the big league standings and number five in the farm systems. And and
1: that being said, the crazy thing about this is I don't think this is a good farm system, but I do think you could argue this is the best that the Orioles farm system has looked at the top. The top two guys are. Yeah, I know they had Wheaters and I know they've had yeah. a lot of pitching. But the top two guys on this list are potentially they have two top ten prospects.
0: But wasn't the year that they that Weeters Weeters was an 07 draft. So he had his big year, as Chuck Norris year in 2008. And that year they drafted uh, Brian Mattis. So, so that's probably yeah, had the, both they, those they had guys. Two, so t- that was two
1: top ten guys in too probably. So I would say that was, that was probably two top ten guys as well. But there aren't many teams. I and mean, we haven't done our top hundred obviously yet. Right. But,
0: it's I'm comfortable saying. <laughs> Sorry. I'm looking back at the 2008 handbook where Matt Weeders was number one when he had just been drafted. Number two, Rodimus Liz. Number three, Troy Patton. Nolan Reimold. Bill Rowell. Brandon Snyder. Jake Arrieta. Corey Spoon. Pedro Beato. Brandon Irby. This is the point. Gucci mama. This is
1: the point that this is the problem with the Orioles is that even what we're talking about right now, I really like prospect number one. Dylan Bundy. <laughs> yeah. I really like prospect number two, Manny Machado. I really like, not the same level, but I really like Jonathan Scope, who's number three on their list. Yeah, yeah.
0: Zach, and Britton, af- Zach Britton, number 21 that year after being in the Apple League. And and after that,
1: though, there are a whole lot of guys who don't look like they should be... Parker Bridwell should not be a number four prospect.
0: No. No. He's a, like a guy you'd
1: love to have him number 10. The the best way to put it is, is Ryan Flaherty, who was not protected by the Cubs, um... Is number seven the yeah. rule five draft? Not a whole lot of rule five picks crack top tens.
0: No, not very often. I do remember losing a top ten uh, uh, guy in the rule five draft when I did the first year. I did a top ten. The Blue Jays number ten guy was Jay Gibbons, and he got rule five that year by the Orioles, and he went straight to their top ten, like as number ten. But that was like a number, you know. And even in the in the write up when I wrote him up for the Blue Jays, I guess he didn't go. He, he must have gone in the book. But even when I wrote him up for the Blue Jays, it was, you know, he wasn't protected on the forty-man roster because they have Carlos Delgado. But he had a big year in Double A. And anyway, I always enjoyed Jake Gibbons being in the top ten and getting Rule Fived. But but, but it's not Ryan often. Ryan Flaherty, he was in the eleven to twenty range very comfortably for the Cubs. But and the scariest
1: thing that with the Orioles, and they themselves seem to admit this because they keep trying to fix this. But one of the problems is is that their guys, they've. Not had a whole lot of guys who you say, that guy got a lot better.
0: Correct. Yeah, that's a very fair assessment. They don't have a lot of guys. And and Jonathan Scope is one of the few, but, again, let's see him do it at double A. But like L.J. Hose. L.J. Hose would probably rank third on this list if he could play second base. Or at least he'd rank fourth. But he, but he really can't. He can't. I don't know why we even listed him as an OF slash 2B because he can't play second base. Um, that, that 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 He's a great example. of Xavier Avery. After three or four years, their farm system is still thought of as a raw, toolsy athlete with really no real significant improvement in his swing. The biggest problem with the Orioles, JJ, is you look at their 2009 draft. That's the one year. Most years, the Orioles have had a good first-round pick. You look at their list of the first-rounders, Weeders, Mattis, Machado, Bundy. For the last five years, they've spent money. They've drafted high. And you know, Mattis had a horrible year in the big leagues, but he certainly has flashed. You see why well, but, yeah, was, again. That and that's you understand so, why he right. was picked there. That,
1: but that's and we did a story in this issue, right? Like, Spin up on the site also about just how the the key for the Orioles to not to to win the division or anything like that. Just to be, respectable. but the key to, for respectability is that their crop of pitching prospects who are now all in the big leagues. Dylan Bundy's not part of that crop, but that crop of pitching prospects who. All of them. The Ariettas. Almost without fail, fell on their face in 2011.
0: Yeah, the Brad Burgessons. I mean, even him. Uh, all David all, Hernandez for,
1: pitched really well out of the pen, but the only problem is it wasn't for Baltimore.
0: That's right. That's right. But if you're looking at their – if you want to pinpoint a reason why their farm system is in such bad shape right now, the biggest thing would be the 2009 draft. Matt two,
1: good at the top. And, yeah,
0: because in 2009, they, that's the one year, J.J., out of all these years, where they actually went aggressively over slot frequently. And Joe Jordan's no longer the scouting director there. And, uh, you know, Joe, I'm sure he had his strong points. But if you're just looking track record, that draft looks well, terrible. I don't put have the whole draft in front of me, like, but I know the guys I went over slot for, they, they saved money with Hobgood, and they went over slot with guys like Michael Ullman, Cameron Coffey, a couple other guys. None of those guys are in their top 30. Michael Givens, not just not top 10. Four guys I can think of off the top of my head Givens, Hobgood, Coffey, and Ullman, who got $800,000 or above, where Hobgood got slot, but, the other, but he was in overdraft. And the three guys, they saved money in the first round. They went over slot with the other guys. Not only are those guys not in their top 10, they're not in their top 30. So and are talking We're that, talking
1: two and a half years later.
0: So that draft was a complete whiff and bad draft is the reason. I mean, you can't write off those players completely, but that, that draft is the biggest but, reason and, why their farm system stinks. right? And now.
1: this is the thing is, is that if you, are, if you are a great farm system and you whiff on one draft, you can right. survive it. Right. If you're a good farm system and you whiff on one draft, you're going to really feel it. But if you're already a below average farm system and you whiff on a draft,
0: That's I, it. You just it, can't it, afford it. It,
1: it. it takes you a long time to make up for that.
0: Yeah, and they and that's and that's it. So I shouldn't say that's the only. And their system doesn't stink. I shouldn't be that hard on it. They're not. They're not going to rank 30th. They're not going to rank 30th. They do have future stars, and I like Dylan Bundy. I think I had Dylan Bundy ranked higher on my personal top 50 than anybody else from the 2011 draft. But the, that's the big that 2009 draft is the biggest reason why the depth in their farm system is poor. And the problem
1: they have is is that when we go through this, I mean, there aren't. That's the only below average farm system in the AL East.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I mean that is I think that's actually what it is. I, I mean, mean that's so right. that's
1: a real problem is is that you're the worst team in the division and then it, you add on top of that, you know, at the big league level and oh yeah by the way, you have not just the worst farm system, but you have a bad farm system or below average farm system in a division where everyone else is above average.
0: Yeah, where everybody else spends money and if they don't spend money they're creative and if they don't I mean like even the Rays on spent a ton of money in the draft as far as going way over slot, but they had more picks than anybody else because they really gamed the system, and uh, the old system, and Baltimore has not done that either. Moving on uh, with a little bit uh, happier face to Boston, uh, J.J., this is a weird farm system because they're like the opposite of Baltimore. Uh, Dylan Bundy or Manny Machado would rank one very easily in the, ra- in the Red Sox and system. And the other
1: one would rank two.
0: Uh, who whoever I'm saying, Bill and
1: Andrew Trotter would be 1-2. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. They'd be ahead of anyone in this system. Absolutely. And I, it doesn't mean I don't think there's star power in the Red Sox system. I think that Xander Bogarts is very comparable to, like, Reimer Liriano with the with the Padres, where they both ranked second in their farm system, but they have the highest ceilings. But there's a lot more uncertainty. They're, we don't right. know what position Xander They're Bogarts, low-way guys who yeah. are
1: farther away, you know.
0: And Xander Bogarts, for all his power, struck out in, what, 28% of his at-bats. Right. I'll say this
1: though: If you're going to strike out that slug over 500 in the oh. style league as an 18-year-old, that's, absolutely, it's like okay, I'll absolutely. give you some holes there. You know, Mike Stanton struck out a lot as an 18-year-old. I mean, as a 19-year-old, I think in the in the 19, side league. He 18. John Carlo yeah. Cruz, Mike Stanton, yeah. Yeah, you know, and and you'll take that because if you again, if you show that kind of power, no doubt, you got a carrying tool.
0: He has the highest ceiling. Will Middlebrooks, nice prospect. Blake Swihart. I've heard raves from people who saw him in instructional league. I believe in Blake's Swihart's bat. I don't know if he's going to catch, but I really believe in his bat. I believe he
1: is the only top-ten prospect who carries a currently an 0 stat line.
0: That's right. Wow, 0 for 6. I didn't notice that. I thought that said 0 for 0. For 0. Uh, I was wondering why we even ran that stat line. But uh, but their, their system has so much depth, JJ, of interchangeable parts, where it's really the guys who rank like 15th in their system could rank 4th. The best after way to put f- it is, is four, Anthony
1: Ronaldo's were- 4, and I'm not a – I'm not an Anthony Ronaldo fan. Let me right. make that clear, as people in the office know. Nothing, Nothing personal. personal against him, <laughs> but a lot of injuries there. Anthony and, Renato
0: killed my brother.
1: And but the best way to put it is Anthony Ronaldo's four. When you're putting together top hundreds, he's not. I know he's not going to be on my top hundred. Yeah, I don't think he's. Gonna be I don't on think mine. he's going to be on yours. I do
0: think that Brandon Jacobs and Bryce Brentz might be on my top hundred.
1: But the thing I was going to say is is that but they but if you said okay now rank your top two hundred. I'd their number nine guy, Ryan Lavarnway, might make my top, my number two, my top he He'll make my
0: he'll make my top one fifty because Matt Barnes actually at number eight, he might be in my top hundred. He right. might be in the nineties for me because I mean, how is he that different from too many of the college pitchers who went this year? He's a little less refined than the breakings, of the secondary stuff, He's not as refined as some of the other top college pitchers in the two thousand eleven draft class. But I thought he was a steal where Boston got him, and you could make a case for him for and, and and let's it, just
1: also say. Their number 10 prospect, Jackie Bradley, not right now, but a year from now, if shows health. Well, he could be a top 100 guy. He could be easily a top 100 guy next year if if he's healthy and he has kind of the year. He basically picks up like, okay, right. for his sophomore year, he's just jumped to now. We've got
0: to see the bat, exactly. We've got to see the bat play the way it did when he was a sophomore not the way it did in 2011 when even before he got hurt, he wasn't hitting great. And, again, my comp for Jackie Bradley Jr. has been for a year or so Mark Kotze. I, I'm looking for him to be Mark Kotze. So, a With, without
1: the pitching ability.
0: Well, yeah, that goes without saying. Well, who knows? You know, he doesn't hide the ball like Michael Roth. They never gave him the shot at South Carolina, but Jackie Bradley Jr. as a premium defensive player in center field, and I, I think has that. That great player aura without the great player tools, which was what Mark Kotze had at Cal State Fullerton. Well, he's a great player at Cal State Fulton. But, a- but he had a very nice big league career. I, I think if Jackie Bradley Jr. Is, uh, hits oh, like if a Mark does, Kotze. If
1: he, if he produces a Mark Kotze career, every, yeah. that's a great draft pick.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so, I, but I do think out of last year's, I like the fact that Jim – Callis, does our Red Sox list. But if you're going to pick someone from their draft class from last year, I would have ranked Blake Swihart as the highest guy. I think that, I don't know if he's a sleeper, but I like Brandon Jacobs a little bit better than 60. I'd, I, I'd take I would, Jacobs over Bryce Prince, for example.
1: I, I will say, though, so in the AL East, are they third to you, fourth like, let's let's do this, I let's do this now. Let's, yeah. I think I had them third. I think I, think
0: I went Yankees, I agree Blue with you on Jays, Yankees one. Red Sox. Blue Jays, Two. And I know that
1: there's going to be some Blue Jays fans who may hear this and go, wait, what? You know. And, hey, the Blue Jays have a very deep farm system. They do. They do. The thing that the Yankees, to me and I think to you also, the thing that puts them ahead is that Toronto's farm system is deep, but at the top end – they don't have, I mean, they don't have a Jesus Montero, a top ten prospect guy.
0: Well, there's nobody. There's there's very few organizations that have as good a young pitching as the Jays have. You know, prospects four through ten are all pitchers, and they all have pretty good upside. Uh, you
1: know, right? They're all yeah. These are, none of these are AAA guys who you go, hey, he's crafty. He could. And figure I it like
0: out. their top three guys in terms of ceiling: Darno, Ghost, Marisnik, You know, I would probably take Jake Marisnik over Gary Sanchez. That's tough. But I'd probably take Jake Marisnik over Gary Sanchez. It's number three versus number four. Yeah, I'd say I very, some, they'd be close. I bet there's some organizations where they'd take Dellen uh, you know, and they would rather have Jake Marisnik than Dellen Patancas. That said, uh, to me, that pitcher class for, for uh, Toronto, all those guys have some hickeys. You know, most of those guys haven't pitched uh, those prospects four through seven have haven't pitched pitch full in. season ball. Yeah. So that's, that's A. Not, not, well, not, not that, for a, a full year. Full season, yeah. And Dick and McGuire, McGuire, you know, he's a he's a back rotation. He's a number four starter type. Drew Hutchison, probably is as well, though I like him a little bit better than most. I, and I then, do too. And then Asher Woj, I loved Asher Woj out of college. But let's face it, Asher Woj's arm was put through the ringer at Citadel. I, I, you know, and he did not ones, have
1: a very good year And he did not
0: year. have a good year. I wouldn't even mention it if the, for the fact that he really didn't have a good season. And it's not that he didn't perform, it's that his stuff was down. The sharpness of the stuff was down. So he's kind of a wild card number 10. There's all I'll kinds of depth light. in Toronto, but I think the Yankees have more high-ceiling talent.
1: When when Ashley Wojcikowski was in college, you did not see 89s coming out of his arm. No, when literally.
0: you saw you saw bastard sliders, and you did not see bastard sliders out of him this year, not on a consistent basis. Whereas for me, the, the Yankees are looking at uh, even a guy like uh, uh, Ravel Santana and Dante Bichette and Mason Williams. That middle... Column, when you look at your top ten, you have prospects five, six, and seven. Those three guys are really, really interesting. And the Blue Jays have that with pitchers, and I mean, you do have to have volume, and they do. But the Yankees have that with bats, bats with real upside, bats with athleticism. And Dante Bichette and they doesn't do have, have.
1: And above that, they also have a pair of pitchers who, if not big league ready, are really close.
0: And that's the other thing is that the Yankees do have, I think, more close to the majors. Ready to help talent. Their, their
1: top three guys are all guys who, if you said they broke camp with them at the end of spring training this year, you wouldn't be shocked. Right, two
0: guys who were in the big leagues. And then don't forget Austin Romine is a very, you know, back there sitting at number eight. Is I think, you know, right on that cusp, when he gets to the big leagues, he's going to be right on that cusp of first division or second division catcher. He's going to be right in that. If, you started, if you in Roman, uh, you're starting Austin Romine, you're going to be thinking to yourself, can we do better than this guy or not? I, I think he's... It really depends. He's a very streaky hitter historically in his minor league career. I, I like Romine. I-, I would like to see him, you know, but he's not as good as Travis Darneau. But coming out of high school, those guys were regarded they were very, very close together. Right. And and Darno's better. better now. Darno's but- better, there's no doubt. But I'm just saying those their pedigree's pretty similar. Darnot gets a significant he's a significantly mm. better prospect right now, but you know, Romine's been in our top one hundred before and I don't think he's gonna be in the top one fifty right now, but he has I think he has a chance to be a big league regular. So but the main
1: thing to me that jumps out, though, is you have three guys at the top for the Yankees. One who's a top ten prospect, yeah. I don't think. Two others who are...
0: I think Montero's in the top five for me. I mean, he's just he's an, as elite as hitters get in the minor leagues. The only minor league hitters, to me, who are better are Trout and Harper. There's only minor league hitters who are better. And then you get you're basically, how much are you going to ding him... For his defense and the fact that he's probably going to be more of a DH, but to me, his career path is going to be—he's going to be a better version of Paul Konerko. Uh, He—he—he'll probably wind up catching more in his career than Pauly. but yep. I think it's going to be a similar career path. And Paul Konerko has some 40 home run seasons in there, and he was a four-hole Which hitter for a World to Series a 30 champion. home run seasons
1: now. You know. I, I don't know. No, I'm saying, but yeah, you know, if he puts up 30 home run seasons, that's Pauli hit 40
0: last it. year, didn't he? In 2011, yeah, that's and true, still doing it. Yeah. So I, I've I've used that comparison for a couple of years because Paul Konerko is a guy who hits for average and power when he's going right, and that's going to be Jesus Montero. And if he's doing that as a first baseman or DH, uh, or there. if he's doing it as a DH catcher where he's catching 40 games a year, I think Jesus Montero is going to be a pretty valuable player. So and he and he fits the, what the Yankees need right now so very well. He's the perfect to me right-handed power back complement to Granderson, Cano. Uh, you know, Nick Swisher, the only power right-handed bat they have is A-Rod, uh, who is uh, is Well, don't aging. worry, they got,
1: they're going to have A-Rod for the next, uh, like... Six years. Yeah.
0: As long as uh, Montero is cheap, they will have A-Rod. So
1: Actually, Montero might be expensive, you know. <laughs>
0: That's right, by the time the A-Rod is as well. Um, but Toronto's uh, system, JJ, real quick, I mean... Uh, I, the, it's really more notable to me for depth than it is for star power, even though I do like those top three guys. I was going to say, the
1: thing about it is if we go top ten here, if you get the prospect handbook, there are a number of guys in that prospect handbook past ten who you also we like.
0: Put it this way, Nestor Molina uh, was, like, in the mid-teens for the Blue Jays, and he got traded to the White Sox. He became our number two prospect. Spoiler alert, you know, coming yeah. up ahead. That's crazy that he went from, like, 18 to 2. Uh, that's a big jump, so – very big difference in those farm systems. But I think Toronto's second, Boston third. Tampa's fourth, JJ, and See, that, I, that might surprise some people. But and I, I, think I it's can't an easy remember. Call. I'm trying to
1: think. When I did mine, I, I want to say I had them. I may have had them. Uh, I can't remember if I had them ahead of Boston or behind. I think those two are, are pretty close together. And the reason I say that again is maybe I'm putting too much weight to it, but the drop off between Matt Moore, number one prospect. And the Red Sox number one yeah, prospect is nothing against Will Middlebrooks. But it's, Matt Moore is as – It's huge. Matt Moore <laughs> – yeah. it's funny, but we it's think three back – But we think back over these the top pitching prospect year by year by year. And we have guys who like, man, that guy just looks amazing. David Price. Right. When it was David Price, Matt Weeders comparison. You know what, though? Matt Moore is a better – Pitching prospect at this point than David Price was at the same point. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't think there's any question. And David Price was like the slam dunk best pitching prospect, and he's lived up to it. It's not oh, something right. where you say, oh, well, you know, in hindsight, no. David Price was the number one pitching prospect without a doubt. Yeah. He was he was in the argument, the one, two, he was either one or two in you know, in, in our top hundred. Yeah. That, that was the debate, him or Weeders. And you look at it now, you say he's lived up to what we expected. And you say, you look at this and go, yeah, and Matt Moore is significantly better.
0: I think he is significantly better. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say three grades. Three, It's a grade and a half. But, I mean, you're talking about a guy who we think is going to be an above-average big-league third baseman in Will Middlebrooks versus a guy who's going to be the best left-handed pitcher in the big leagues. And if he's not the best, he's going to be right there with Clayton Kershaw. I mean, he's right there. So, uh, I, yeah, Matt Moore's I mean, special. Hey, He's a pitcher. He, yes,
1: he could get hurt, obviously. There's he's always, the safest pitcher in the book, but, too. But you look at it and you say, he's already, for one, he's already shown a taste of what he can do in the big leagues. Because as you know, as I think either you or we, someone wrote you know, to, with this, look, Matt Moore has already in some ways hit yeah. what our projection for him is, which is to be the number one starter on a playoff team. I know he wasn't their number one starter during the season, but right. you know what? When the playoffs rolled around, they said, who, who are we going to start? They started Matt Moore, and he was dominating.
0: Yeah, he was. He didn't just start the first game. You know, that's not why you say that he looked like a number one starter in a playoff team. It wasn't just that he started the, the first game. He he's shut out the defending pennant winners, the team that went on to win the pennant, for seven innings in their home stadium. You saw in, in the postseason – Chris Carpenter would labor for six innings to hold that Rangers lineup down. You saw other pitchers with big pedigrees try to hold that Rangers lineup. You and saw check, a whole lot of games that do was it.
1: six, you know, like it was six five in the look at, fourth.
0: Look at what he did. Look what the Rangers did to Justin Verlander. They made that guy work. The guy was MVP and Cy Young, and they made that guy work for every out. Matt Moore made that look so easy, so effortless. Uh, there there was no one who cut through that Rangers lineup and better in the postseason. Let's say There is
1: an advantage of when you're getting the – if you're a pitcher with his kind of stuff. Right. And they're seeing you for the first time. True. Giant advantage. I'll admit that. True. You can't watch video. Like, there's so much video now. Well, we got some video. We got, uh, you know, the – camera, you know, from we got some Durham Bulls art. You <laughs> right. know? I mean, it's not the same. Well, he
0: had that one five-inning start right. or whatever against the Yankees. True. It, it, harder to break him down. And uh, obviously, the other part of being a number one starter is 200 innings, go out there and be, uh, you know, f- to me, I guess you're going to put it in that 125, uh, 125 ERA plus. <laughs> you want to see, uh, can we still use wins or am I allowed or will I be laughed off the air? But you, you're looking for a guy who will win 15 to 20 games. You're looking for a guy to start 200, pitch 200 innings so you know, right. strike out a lot of guys. He hasn't had to he pitch hasn't for done that yet. yet.
1: But because you're not going to you're not going to have a guy throw 200 dings of the minors.
0: Even without that playoff although uh, we did have Terry Doyle do that yes, this year. <laughs> Even without that playoff start, uh just look at what Matt Moore did just in the minor leagues and that that stat line at Durham is so ridiculous. And we got to see it, but it's still I mean the so best ridiculous. way to, the best way to
1: put it is, is not that not boy good. <laughs> the funny thing about it is is that Matt Moore over, over the final two months of the season, Matt Moore, like, probably seeing him at his worst was seeing him in the AAA playoffs. Yeah. That yeah, was Matt right. Moore at his worst.
0: It was. Yeah, you're right. And uh, the only thing he didn't get to do this year was pitching that uh, AAA championship game in his hometown in Albuquerque that he wanted uh, to do. That was the only goal that he didn't uh, fulfill. So but, but kudos thing, to but Matt Moore.
1: The thing that was jumping out from that is is that he is so good. Yeah. That when you have a guy at that top level, to me, I might take that system. If you said, hey, I get everyone in the system, and you compare it to the Red Sox, the Red Sox have better depth. The I Rays' depth that. is not what it is not what it once was.
0: I could see that, though. I could see that argument. But,
1: it, but there still is some depth there. And the thing about it is is that if you're giving me chance at a guy who – I mean, we don't want to go insane here. But the reality of it is a guy who we think this guy should – again, I don't want to overhype him, but – he should be, Verlander. be a multiple all-star, yeah. multiple competing for Cy Young. He
0: should be a Verlander or a Kershaw type of guy. I if mean, you, put it in if I've got a chance of can... that,
1: I'm not saying there's no one in that Red Sox system who could end up being an MVP, multiple MVP type or anything. Maybe Xander Bogarts if everything comes together. Right. But in Matt Moore's case, we're talking about a guy who's reached the big leagues and we think of like that. I might take that guy over a yeah. deeper system.
0: I, that, that's a that's a fair argument to make, um, but you might have but, convinced me already. <laughs> but that, that being
1: said, this is not the Rays' top thirty. You know, we got top ten here, the top thirty for the handbook. This is not what you're talking about a couple of years ago.
0: And I think one of the reasons for that is you have to look at their last couple of drafts, and uh, this year's draft. You know, we don't know. We don't know yet. There are no returns of the 2011. Certainly, they had a good draft just because of the sheer volume of high picks. <laughs> Someone, if they don't it's get anyone out of this draft, something, I know I'm quoting and, and you. On and, that. Let's,
1: and let's just say this also. With the Rays, they have enough of a track record that you can. When we say with the Orioles, there are not a whole lot of guys who've right. gotten better with the Rays,
0: that's not the case. There
1: are a whole lot of guys, especially pitching wise, who have said, gotten better.
0: That said, and, now while and you can't draw too much of a conclusion from this. Jim Callis and I have talked about this. Since 2008, the Rays have been good. So there's one thing. 2008 was right. the first not, year they were They're good. not
1: drafting at the top. They're not drafting the top five right. anymore.
0: But that said, Matt Moore was drafted in 2007. They haven't had a player from the 2008 draft get to the big leagues yet, or 2009 or 2010. And I understand they draft higher ceiling, high athlete, raw, or more raw players in general. Um, you know, t- and Tim Beckham, is you know, he restored some of his pro- lost prospect luster. I realize I'm the in house Tom Tim Beckham apologist yes, you are. compared to everybody else. Um Alex Torres wasn't a draft the guy, he got to the big leagues this year, albeit briefly. Um to me though to me they they have really haven't drafted great the last three years. The best way to put it is
1: is that the only guy from the O eight, oh nine, you know, drafts who's in their top ten that they drafted is Tim Beckham. Right.
0: And uh you know, O nine I guess he, you're not it's gonna be harder to have a good draft when you don't sign your first and second round picks. Well they didn't. They didn't sign Levon Washington that year. They didn't sign Kenny DeKroger. You know what? And I'll
1: say this with it Levon Washington. I've never been a Levon Washington fan. Yeah. That may have worked out well for them in that. Yeah, I don't
0: even think he made the Indians top ten this year. And let me tell you, the Indians top ten? No. The bar was low there. <laughs> the bar was low. They traded everybody and the bar was low. So but but uh, but they you know, you I think it's fair to critique Tampa's uh, the the impression that people have of the Rays organizations is they always draft well and develop well, and they have. For the most part, they have done that. Um, but right now, there's just some looks like like after Matt Moore, who will be their number one prospect this time next year? More than likely, you'd think it's either going to be Hawk Julie, maybe Chris Archer doesn't break into the big leagues He's got a higher ceiling. I was gonna say, or you I would actually, the, I would actually bank on Guerrero. I was I, gonna say
1: Taylor Guerrero is the guy I would, I would expect, to, you know, to be the number one prospect in their system next year. Right. Because if he goes out and has the season that he could have, you could a year from now going, okay, you know. He, and I'll say this though, but he would be then he if he is their number one next year, that would be that's not a top twenty, top twenty five prospect, number one probably.
0: Probably not. I mean, he has pretty loud stuff, but, I mean, but there's a lot system, of makeup like, issues about the maturity issues.
1: What they have now that you, they have going for him is, is that they have this very good big league club, and they're going to add Matt Moore, who should step in and, and pitch very well right away. And go sure. out, on top of that, they have a, a Columet, they have a Torres who aren't far away from being able to help as well. What they What they... But what they don't have now is the reality of this is that they had gaping holes at multiple positions last year, and they don't have a whole lot of position players who you turn to. And the guys they've drafted, who admittedly should be a ways away, but they've had several of those guys who they've very prominent top-round picks in recent years, position player-wise, who have yet to get anything going.
0: Yeah, really, guys like Lucas Bailey, Justin O'Connor, Josh Saleh. you know, to a lesser extent, Drew Vettelson, he's in the top 10. But in yeah, the last couple of drafts, their high-end draft picks have not done a whole lot. Like in yeah. 2009, again. I mean, hey. But you look at 2009, 2010, those two years where you, the, the, those drafts are not off to good starts. So and, and even the 2011 draft is important. If we
1: rewind it to 8, it today, Tim Beckham was 1-1. One, one. That, that draft's not off to a good start. I mean, we're at yeah. this point. He's done, as you said, he's done some to help get, bring back his status. Right. But –
0: at the he, same he doesn't, time, he doesn't well, look like a star.
1: He doesn't look like a star, and it was 1-1 in a draft that had some stars who have already <laughs> starred.
0: Yes, stars who have starred. There, there's no doubt. I mean, how different would their organization look? I mean, we'll say it for the millionth time, but really they look a lot different with uh, Buster Posey. I mean, it's just not even – it's almost not worth talking about. But what if they had taken just any of those first basemen? You know, they had Casey Kochman had a great year for for them last year. They're looking for a big league first baseball. What if they just taken Yonder Alonso? If you wanted to sign someone for not that much money, uh, I mean they gave Tim Beckham six million plus dollars. I mean he
1: can't really play shortstop that well. But what if they just said, okay, well we'll live with Gordon Beckham at shortstop. I'll just put it this way: he would have produced more offensively. We know that much. They're a defense oriented team. They're not. They would not have put Gordon Beckham at shortstop. Right, but.
0: right. Well, the the thing that has taken care of some of that, you know, I think that again the. The perception is the Rays draft so well. I'm not saying they draft poorly. But they trade really. But they trade really, really well, and they pick up good free agents. I mean, you know, Matt Joyce wasn't a big deal prospect, although he was a sleeper. But when they traded Edwin Jackson for Matt Joyce, I remember thinking, man, all they got is Matt Joyce for Edwin Jackson, and what they got was Matt Joyce, basically a profile right fielder. Ben Zobris was not something.
1: Yeah, Ben Zobris is the – you know.
0: Aubrey Huff to turn an Aubrey Huff into Ben Zobers, the best draft pick of the last decade for the Houston Astros and they
1: never got to enjoy it but maybe but, not but get to enjoy even it. even with that you know and even like they they uh, Car- Carlos Peña Casey Kochman they've managed to turn a couple now Peña it was a roller coaster ride with Peña they right. got good and they got bad right but they found something there out of essentially nothing they found something in Casey Kochman out of essentially nothing they've managed to do that as well In recent years. Now, if they can find something out of nothing, at catcher, they would...
0: uh, And that's the thing. They've spent a lot of money on trying to get catchers right and trying to develop catchers internally. And and it hasn't hasn't happened. They do not have a catcher. But their 2008 draft, Beckham, Kyle Lobstein, we're all still waiting for Kyle Lobstein. And the rest of that draft class is really not a whole lot going on there. Uh, I don't see anybody else out of that draft class that they signed who's a prospect. So, you know, that's that's what we're that, – that, to the Rays, for me, maybe I, – I, I do see your argument. I can see them ranking ahead of Boston. Uh, but I think Boston has leveraged – I think draft Boston basically has drafted better than, than Tampa has the last few years. I think Tampa has traded better. But I think in recent history um, – and we'll see if this continues, obviously, for Boston uh, – it, it seems to have continued even after losing Jason McLeod – Amiel Saude and, and that scouting department there has really kept doing things the same way. We'll see if they keep doing it with Theo Epstein gone cuz I will keep seeing and see. I look, think it, for there's no reason for
1: not to. For both of these teams, the changes in the draft are going to affect them significantly from the standpoint of Right. These are late these are teams that They'll never have to a, be picking late, and you'll never
0: they, have a team pick ten out of the first sixty picks again. Right, like that's not going to happen right.
1: anymore. The supplemental picks is going to be way down in the number of supplemental picks. Right. So that's one thing that's going to affect them. And also, the Red Sox, really, I would argue more than anyone, the Red Sox are the master of, okay, they may spend some money on their first round pick, but right. more than that,
0: they just spread it they out. They just spread it out, and yep. we're going
1: to take, we're going to take five to ten premium guys. That's right, and spend. A mil, eight hundred thousand right. money like that. Right. That spreads out your risk. And so it means that you know, when we're talking about like that oh eight draft and we mentioned Beckham Lobstein. Well, if your draft is based on Beckham Lobstein, you got a lot more chance for that to fail uh, yeah. than if it's based on Ten guys. That's right. That's right. And then you go, oh, well, these five didn't turn out. But you know what? They got these other five. Two of them are star prospects and three others could be useful guys. The that's other, a good draft.
0: The other CBA change, JJ, that's, since we're talking about that, that's really going to affect the American League East is international changes and the Yankees. You cannot find, I don't think, a team that's more consistent in terms of always spending a lot of money internationally internationally. And the Yankees, you look at their top ten, well, Jesus Montero, $1.65 million. He was one of the top signing guys Gary in his class. Sanchez. Gary Sanchez with the number two signing bonus in his class in 2009. Ravel Santana didn't get a huge bonus, but he did get some money. And he was considered and one of the he better. Led, and he led the Dominican Summer League in home runs in 2010, and then he hit for that kind of power in the Gulf Coast League. Um, I'm leaving somebody out uh, whose rank's pretty prominent. Uh, not just not so much their top ten, but like in their foreign system. And then, obviously, look at their big league team. Robbie Cano, international. Yvonne Nova, international. Um, <laughs> going back a ways, obviously. Mariano Rivera, international. Uh, the Yankees have been as successful, really, as any organization internationally, and especially gonna, in Latin America. And they're going to be
1: one of the teams that's going to be hit because they're no going to get a smaller allotment.
0: No doubt. Everything. every change in the last couple of CBAs, is basically aimed at less Yankee dominance. You can argue the the yes whether that's a good idea or not, but from adding wild cards it's giving other teams yeah. more of a chance to uh expanding the playoffs again now to uh competitive balance picks, revenue sharing, all of them are basically yeah. aimed at putting a drag on the Yankees.
1: That's the thing that was interesting. When the C B A came out there was a lot of UN cry right at the start yep. that's like Oh man, this is going to be bad news. Why are they doing this for the teams like the they're Pirates? They're killing the, the Pirates and
0: Royals exactly. The team
1: that really like if you look at it. Now again, we do not know. Teams will find ways around some of these things. We yep. know that. Yep. Agents will find ways around some of these. If they things. have it yet, they're
0: searching. They're name.
1: working on it. That being said, they're 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 down in the said, mother's basements with the block If you said which teams it. are right now going to be most hurt by these rules, the Red Sox and the Yankees the top of the list. For
0: me. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. They're never going to get competitive balance picks, <laughs> extra never. picks like that. They're never going to do that. They're going to keep on paying a lot in revenue sharing, luxury taxes. But, tax, but beyond kind of
1: that, yes, it's true that there are some teams, the Royals have probably done it as much as anybody, Who teams who are small market teams who've realized right. spending 10 mil in the draft is better than spending 10 mil for Coco Crisp. Right, right. They realize that. Okay, that's good and all that. That being said, the,
0: <laughs> it should be pretty evident, but apparently it's not. But it's a great way to put it. But
1: they, that's while
0: that's true,
1: teams like that, they're going to get competitive balance picks. Correct. The reality of it is, is they're still in the bad years, going to pick high. And what this means, as far as that is, is that you're you're still going to get, a, you are now going to get more shots at those guys right. because let look. The reality of it was before there were players out there. Not only was it asking price, but you could somewhat manipulate right. where you were going to end up, right? Because if you tell scouts for 15 teams you don't want to go to that your asking price is eight million right, and then you tell the team you want to go to your asking price is three million, they're going to draft you That's now, right. a team may screw up your plans. Because they may say, no, we're drafting you, and you know what? We know you're going to take yeah. less than that.
0: I, I was thinking Detroit uh, taking Andrew Miller, even though he was trying to bluff his way down to Boston and New York. Right. I mean, not and, that it worked out for Detroit, but they did end up trading him for uh, Miguel Cabrera.
1: Right, but that, it can, but, but that doesn't happen. That's going to be impossible to really happen anymore. I think it's going
0: to be much, much more more difficult. I do think you're still going to have players. The one thing that in the draft that Boston and New York do have is they're still Boston and New York, especially the Yankees. I think the Yankees. I, I do think there are going to be a lot of players who, when push comes to shove, would not sign with one team for $600,000 in the second or third round, but they would sign with the Yankees for that money. So I, That may happen still. That, that may happen, but I don't I don't see a lot. But of, I'll say this. You're I'm only not gonna smart get, well, they're enough. only going
1: to get one shot at that. That's per, right.
0: And my, I'm not smart enough to see all the loopholes yet, but as we know, with every draft, rules change. There are always unintended consequences, and one of them might just be driving those players to college, and uh, that would lead us into our next podcast. More than likely, we'll still actually do a central podcast, but uh, I thought that I'd be in Anaheim today, but I'm not for the ABCA convention. Aaron Fit is. I expect Aaron and Nathan to podcast. I hope that they podcast, and that, that should be up uh, first of next week, uh, JJ. And then we'll have the American League Central, uh, American League West, and then we take a little break from the prospects. Right when the handbook comes out, Take a little break, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll do the college uh, preview issue. But when the book comes out, we'll have a couple podcasts to talk about the book because right. I think it's going to be a lot of. Fun. And, and,
1: we got, and, and we, uh, we've talked about it a little bit. We won't even go into detail yet. This is kind of wrapping up the podcast, you know, for today. But we do think that there, with the handbook this year, we've added something that will be one of the better additions we've made. In years to the handbook that makes it a, so. a, 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 an even more valuable
0: book. I think so, and uh, I'm I'm excited about it. Kind of can't wait to talk about it, but I am going to wait to talk about it. Yeah,
1: we're gonna we're gonna yeah. we'll, we'll we'll do a podcast that will talk about that. That's probably. right. We'll just, we'll we'll, explain, we'll have it also on the site and all that. So and we'll we we haven't it.
0: and we haven't uh, indicated it at all in the top tens. We want to make sure we got it right <laughs> before the, for the book. But it's going to gonna, gonna be a book only. It's going to be
1: probably going forward. A book oh, only. Going
0: forward, it is going to be a book only deal, unless there's such uh, critical acclaim that we even have to. Then, Including though, but, the top but, tens. You know, even then,
1: I, I think it's a book. You know, but
0: I think it's a book-only uh, deal teacher. myself. I agree. But uh, we're obviously excited about that. Excited to have the book behind us. Excited to get it into your hands. So go to BaseballAmerica.com slash store for the prospect handbook, the almanac, the upcoming directory of the Super Register, all the Baseball America books. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on Sunday, January 8th on Sirius 209XM89 when the Baseball America show returns to Sirius XM. Until the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.